Uh, we've come to the end of the series uh, through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we're going to be finishing the series today. You might know, have a time of prayer based on everything we've, God has been speaking to us through the book later, but uh, the actual sermons on the book we're finishing today. Uh, this is the 11th in the sermon series. And the broad theme of this book and the broad theme of the sermon series has been on waiting well. How do we wait well for Christ Jesus to come back? And we're going to stay on this very theme and uh, we're going to close the sermon as well on that theme. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the second half of the last chapter of the first book of Thessalonians. Um, this chapter is interesting and this portion we're going to read today is interesting uh, because uh, it has a whole bunch of instructions and one great assurance at the end. So today I want to walk through the instructions quickly, but we're not going to uh, spend too much time on these instructions and hopefully we'll have more time another day to, to really unpack these instructions. I'm just going to read through those instructions and I'm going to read the great assurance at the end of it. And having read through the instructions and read through the assurance in the passage, we're basically going to wrestle with two questions. And I think most of us will resonate with the questions. So before we um, get uh, into the questions, uh, let me read the passage out for us. It's going to come for us uh, on the screen. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 12 onwards. And I'll read the instructions and, and I'll just walk us through it. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. That's the first set of instruction. How do we work under leadership? Um, and leaders are called to both care and admonish people that God has called them to be. That's the first set of instruction. Verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and destructive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak, weak and be patient. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And this set of instructions is um, how we are to live together. We saw a little bit of that last week, building one another up. Verse 16 is the third set of instruction of, about honoring God. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The fourth set of instruction, verse 19 onwards, is do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. At the end of all the instructions on how to live life and what to do, uh, there is this great assurance for us. Let me read that out for us. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. This is God's word. I love you to pray for us. Uh, Father, as we close the series and as we uh, ponder on God's grace and our response, 
I pray, Holy Spirit, will you come even now and move our hearts that we might be drawn to you more and more in worship. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What an assurance that is, that he is going to sanctify us through and through, body, soul, and spirit. And so here, enjoying that assurance, and we're going to be talking about that more, here are the two questions i like to wrestle with today. The first question is, do we indeed have free will? Look at verse 16 in the passage. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if God has a will for us, do we really have free will? That's the first question we're going to wrestle with today. The second question we're going to wrestle with from this passage is, is this. How exactly does sanctification happen? If God is the one who saves and sanctifies us, why does the Bible also give us so many instructions? Look at verse 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So it may seem kind of odd that first there are so many instructions on what we have to do, and then we're assured that God is going to do it on our behalf, that God is going to sanctify us through and through. Which of this is, 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 is happening? How exactly does sanctification happen? So those are the two questions we're going to be wrestling with from this passage. Do we indeed have free will? And how exactly does sanctification happen? And if you're an explorer, someone who's just new to church, or someone who's just exploring Jesus, uh, you're probably wondering what, what on earth is this word sanctification. Now, I'm going to make you wonder some more. I'm going to add two more words to the word sanctification. Those are the words uh, justification and glorification. And I'm going to explain that. Um, when we come to believe in Jesus, when God, the Holy Spirit, puts in our heart faith in Jesus, and maybe you're experiencing that right now as you've been exploring New City, as you've been exploring Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, three things happen. God does three things to us. The first thing he does is what the Bible calls justification. The second thing that happens is sanctification. And the third thing that happens is glorification. I'm going to explain all of these to us very simply. So when we believe in Jesus... Amazing things happen. Jesus, who lived an absolutely perfect life, was sinless. He needed every good thing that he should have done. But we were kind of messed up. We, we don't do the good things we ought to be doing. And we end up doing the bad things we should not be doing. But when we believe in Jesus, everything that Jesus did is given to us. Our sins are forgiven. And the righteousness of Jesus, all the credit for all the good things that Jesus did is given to us. And righteousness is pronounced over us. And that's what happens. We are covered with the righteousness of Christ. And when God sees us, when we believe in Jesus, it's as if we are like Jesus himself. 
So this is something that is pronounced over us. In sanctification, Jesus begins to work in us. He comes deep inside our hearts. He starts transforming us. Here, righteousness is proclaimed over us in justification. Here, righteousness is being infused into us. And glorification is when Christ comes again. And we've been looking at it the last few weeks. Uh, we are made perfect. All the bad desires are gone. And God fills us with good things, good desires. And he makes us perfect in all of our ways. And not just that. He gives us glorious bodies uh, that are just like Jesus. And we will go meet him in the air when he comes. And we will come back down here to earth in the new heavens and the new earth and live with him forever and forever with resurrected bodies just like Jesus in a world where there'll be no more sickness, no more shame, no more death. This is what we mean by justification, uh, sanctification, and, and glorification. With that explanation, let's dive to the two questions. Do we indeed have free will? Verse 16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. So if God has a will for us, do we indeed have a free will? And, and, and this question kind of gets played out in so many different life scenarios as well. And so I want to spend uh, time just reflecting on, on what free will really means. And uh, I want to start with the story of, of all human civilization. And then the Bible lays it out for us. This is what it looks like. Looks like. It started with creation. Creation. When everything was perfect, the world was beautiful and perfect, but human beings sinned. We messed up God's perfect creation. And that's called the fall. And then Jesus came to set right everything that had gone wrong. Whatever sin had messed up, that's redemption. And right now, we're in a season where we are being renewed slowly. And then finally, God's going to restore everything back again to its original beauty. Uh, creation, fall, redemption, renewal, restoration. Uh, that's when Jesus comes back and this world is made beautiful and perfect again. I want us to reflect on what free will looks like through this journey. When God created us, did he give us free will? Absolutely, yes. Um, we are made in God's image. And God gave human beings that he created absolute free will. So that question is yes, we had free will. But when the fall came, a lot of things changed. We messed up. We lost the beauty of God uh, in us. We lost God's image because we sinned against him. And the Bible kind of tells us that when we fell, when, when sin entered the world, we became enslaved to sin. And even if you're not a Christian, you can relate to this. Uh, you know, you know, a child, even a small child will want to steal that extra chocolate from another child. Where did it learn that from? Right. And as we grow up, you know, our, our sins just become more sophisticated and, and more complicated and we end up hurting each other. We are hurt by each other. Right. You can relate to this even if you're not a Christian. And we become, became enslaved to sin. So what happened to our free will? When we, are, when we become enslaved to sin, do we still have free will? No. Someone who's enslaved is no longer free. 
So we don't have free will, free will ever since the fall. Let me reflect on this some more. Did God take away our free will? No, God did not take away our free will. We lost it. We walked in ourselves to slavery, to sin. That's what happened at the fall. I'm going to come back to this. And then when Jesus came back, this is what Jesus did. Adam, out of his free will, Adam and Eve, the first human beings that God created, out of his free will, he sinned. His free will led him to make a choice to sin. But Christ Jesus, fully God, fully man, he came and with his free will, Jesus atoned for the sins of Adam and sins of all of us. And out of his free will, Jesus saved us. And you remember the prayer Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, let me not go to the cross, Lord. But not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus took his free will and gave it to God. And he atoned. He will, went willingly, joyfully to the cross to take the punishment for our sins. And so what Adam lost with his free will, Jesus regained for us with his free will. And then now we come to the season of, of, of renewal. And here we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And when Christ comes back one day, free will is going to be completely restored. And I want to dwell on this uh, just a moment as well. But I want to um, unpack two thoughts from this. First, when we are enslaved to sin, can we really make a free choice? The answer is no. So when we are enslaved to sin, can we choose to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins? We cannot because we are no longer free. We've been enslaved to sin. And so we believe salvation us coming, even coming to faith in Jesus is a gift from God. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. And even this, which is faith, is a gift from God. And theologians put it this way. They say regeneration precedes faith. First, the Holy Spirit has to come and work in our hearts. And only then can we believe in Jesus. So faith in Jesus is his work. Because we have lost free will. We are no longer free because we are enslaved to sin. We are no longer free to make our own choice to believe in Jesus. God's Holy Spirit has to come and help us to believe in Jesus. The second thing that I want to talk about is right at the end. Free will. What happens to free will at the, when Christ comes again? Now, I know we live in a world where we see free will as... Let me uh, go back. I know we live in a world where we see free will as an absolute. You know, we, we have the right to choose. We are free to do what we want. We can live as we please. Who is to say what we should do or not? And so God cannot violate our free will. And, hey, I'm in absolute agreement with you. I'm in ex absolute agreement with you. But there's just one problem. Because free will uh, will destroy human society. Human civilization cannot exist with free will. What, what do I mean by that? In my free will, I want to take your car. 
I like your car. I want it to be mine. That's my free will. My free will desires I take your car. And so I come and take your car. And I'm operating out of my free will. I'm doing what I please. But you're not going to like it. Now, that's just one example. Now, now see that example playing over. Uh, one country decides it wants to invade another country because that's, it's, that's the free will of the people in that country. Right? Human civilization is going to be completely wrecked up. Free will will destroy human society because each of us are free to do what we want. So free will in itself cannot be an absolute. Free will in itself cannot be the only absolute reality, uh, only absolute, uh, only absolute. Free will has to be accompanied by goodness. If free will is not accompanied by goodness, it's going to destroy us all. So free will has to be accompanied not just by goodness, but by perfection. And that's what Jesus does to us. Our free will is gone because we are slave to sin. Jesus not only gives us our free will back because he sets us free from sin, but Jesus also infuses his righteousness into us. He makes us like him, good, perfect, beautiful, righteous, holy. And so what Jesus gives us is not just free will, but free will plus perfection or holiness. And so we become like Jesus. And that's what happens when Christ is going to come back again. And that's why when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a perfect world where there's going to be no more sin, no more sickness, because we're all going to have free will and we're going to have the very holiness and, and, and righteousness of God. So that's, that's the broad story of of human uh, free will. So let me go back to the verse that we read. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So when this verse says this is God's will for you, God is not taking away our free will and imposing his will on us. No, on the contrary, as we rejoice always, thinking about Jesus, as we pray continually, as we give thanks in all circumstances, as we fix our thoughts on Jesus, seeing his goodness, seeing his love, seeing his perfection, we are being changed more and more into the image of Jesus. So God is not taking away our free will, but God is giving us free will, but also adding to that free will goodness and holiness and perfection. And that's the question that I wanted to answer. Do we indeed have free will? The short answer to that question, we had free will. We lost it to sin. And Jesus is, is come and restored that unto us by dying on the cross for our sins. And he's going to come back so that when he comes back, we will have absolute perfect free will and absolute goodness and perfection and righteousness. So we will all just flourish blessing and loving and, and one another through the free will that God has given us under Christ our King. I want to move to the second question that I want to wrestle with us today. How exactly does sanctification happen? Uh, by that, basically, how does Jesus make us better and better? Now look at the verse 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful 
and he will do it. So this passage gave us a whole bunch of instructions on how to live. And, and here are these two verses, which basically says God's going to sanctify you. He's the one who called you and he's the one who's faithful. So he's going to do this in you. So, so which is it? Are we uh, uh, sanctified by obeying all the things God tells us? Or does God himself sanctify us by uh, in the way verses 30, 23 and 24 shows us? And if God is the one who saves and sanctifies us, why does the Bible give us so many instructions? So what does God do and what should we do? What does God do and what is our responsibility? What does God do and what is our contribution? And I'm sure, uh, even if you're not a Christian, you've wrestled with this question. We've all wrestled with this question. And I want to try and answer this question by pointing us to another uh, passage from the Bible, a very small portion. Uh, it is in a book called Philippians, which is also written by Paul, the same person who wrote uh, the book of First Thessalonians. And uh, Philippians 2, uh, chapter 1, starts off with this beautiful verse. We're going to really be spending some time understanding it. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, from being united with Christ, union with Christ, hang on to that. We are united with Christ. We have union with Christ. And then verse 12 from the same chapter goes on to say, my dear friends, you who have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then verse 13, that's what I want to focus on. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Let me, let me break that down for us. It's saying two things. It says God works in us. That's the starting point. And then it says God works in us to will so that we can to will and act. So it is God who is working in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. So the combination of both of these together is what we mean by sanctification. This is how it happens. This is how we become better and better. This is how we become more and more like Jesus. God works in us to will and to act. Now, there are two ways we can go wrong with this. The first way is to by just saying, hey, I'm going to will and act. Hey, we've all done this. You know, we've, we've all said, I'm going to make sure I have a better work-life balance. I'm not going to let my boss bulldoze me. I'm going to stand up for my boss. I'm going to stand up for what is right and true. And we've all said that. And we maybe lived that out for one day, uh, two days, one week, but eventually we slipped. Or uh, we resolve, we're going to be a better Christian. And what happens after a week, it just fizzles away. So this is what we call religion or legalism. Not going to get us anywhere. If you look at only this in isolation. But on the other hand, if we just say, oh, God is going to work in us. Uh, I can go on a holiday and just enjoy myself. I don't have to do anything. Uh, on the contrary, I can do all the bad things I want to do because, hey, God's going to change me. 
right? Now, this is not true as well, because this is licentiousness. This is taking grace as a license to sin. Uh, this is no effort. This is my effort, and this is no effort. Both are wrong. We need to see this as God working in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's what sanctification really means, and that's what is really happening here. I want to break this down some more. Uh, I want to break this down some more by helping us see this in, 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 in the light of union, in the light of union with Christ. So here's, here's this. This is union with Christ. Everything is pegged to this. We are united with Christ. And as I said, there are three things happening. There's justification. There's sanctification. And there's glorification. Right? Now, in these three things, let's see what's happening here. Justification, we are passive. We are passive in the sense God's Holy Spirit comes um, unilaterally. He regenerates our heart and he puts in us faith in Jesus. So we are passive. The Bible calls this monergism, which is God acting unilaterally in us. This is grace. We do nothing. We contribute nothing. God works in us. He gives us faith in Jesus. He's going to whisper to us and that's how I came to faith. I come from a Brahmin background. I came to faith because God did that to me. And, and, and that's why, you know, Christians at one level don't really believe in conversion because we can't do a thing. It is God who brings people to faith in Jesus. Even if we tried, we couldn't do it. It's, it's God himself who calls people to Jesus. And Jesus said that. He said, all those who you have given me, Father, they have come to me and I'm not lost. In sanctification... It's not passive, it's active. But as I said, as I showed earlier, this active, we don't contribute, but we participate. We don't contribute, but we participate. And this is therefore synergistic. We participate with what God is doing. And, and that's the way to, to, uh, to understand how sanctification works in our, in our lives. And that's what God is doing in us. So I want to tie it all together and, and close in the next um, 10 minutes or, or, or so. Let's go back to this verse that we are looking closely at, uh, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm speaking to Christians now, those of us who uh, uh, believe in Jesus, those of us who are followers of Jesus. Let me ask us this question. What have we been doing with our free will? Look at this verse. Use this passage to measure ourselves. Am I rejoicing in Jesus always? Am I praying continually? Am I giving thanks? Praying continually is, it may seem really hard. Man, that's beyond me. 
you know, you might, you might look at it that way. That's okay. But what about giving thanks? Hey, this pandemic has really messed all of us up. But I, I want to say this, everyone in this room, we are in the top one percentile of the Indian population. If you can speak English, if you have a decent job, if you're making more than 20,000 rupees a month, you are in the top one percentile of the population in India. Sure, we have concerns, careers is hit. All of that is real. But we are so much better off. Are we being thankful for that? Or are we just cribbing away uh, to, to, to glory? Right? Just even measuring ourselves and thanking, are we, are we, where is our free will taking us? And the truth, the, and the honest answer is every one of us, if we use this passage as a measure, as a benchmark, we are living in defiance of God's will. This is, hey guys, I'm not being critical, I'm just being honest here. We are all, myself first, because I'm not given thanks in every circumstance in the last six months. We are all living in willful rebellion, willful defiance to God's will. That's where free will is taking us. Now, the funny thing here, I bet every one of us have been crying out, God, show me your will for my career. Tell me, show me your will for my career. Show me your will for my relationship. Show me your will for my finances. You know, we're seeking God's will, but we're rebelling against God's will. And that's a funny kind of a situation we're all living in. And we can laugh at it, but the truth is we are living in defiance of God's will, even though we know Jesus. That's a reality. So what's the hope for us? How do we change? How do we change? How do we grow? How do we become better and better? How do we become more and more like Jesus? That's sanctification. How do we grow in our sanctification? Our ultimate hope for sanctification flows from this idea that we are united with Christ, union with Christ. I'm just going to go back and, and, and just, just sketch out one more thing, uh, uh, one more thing for us. Uh, if you look at union with Christ, with Christ, and you have justification, sanctification, glorification, now, I'm not writing them out for want of time. I want us to remember that this is one package. I want us to remember that if God has justified us, he is not going to not sanctify us. And if he has sanctified us, he is not going to not glorify us. And so it is impossible that God will only justify us and then straight away go to glorifying us. No, he is going to work in us all of our life, every single day of our life, till we die or till Christ comes again. He is going to keep working with us in sanctification. This is one package. So it doesn't matter how lousy I've made you feel by, by calling us to account with that passage. It doesn't matter how guilty you may feel. It doesn't matter how much you fail. It doesn't matter how much I have failed. I want us to hold on to this idea of union with Christ. We are united with him. And there's a, there are many beautiful ways of, of describing what union with Christ is. And I'm going to read out a couple. One simple definition. Union with Christ means that by faith, 
we are united to the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus so that everything that is true of him is true of us. That's what union with Christ does. When we believe in Jesus, we are united with him in his death and his resurrection. Union with Christ means that everything that's true of Jesus is true of us. And uh, the Sinclair Ferguson, a theologian, he puts it this way, to be in Christ, to be united with Christ, means that all he has done for us representatively becomes mine, actually. I know those are heavy words. Uh, I enjoy looking at these words, and I know some of us uh, may not really appreciate those words, but I want to close with two very simple illustrations. That's going to simplify this idea of union with Christ for us. Two simple illustrations. The first illustration is going to kind of help us see God's role in our sanctification. The second illustration that I use is going to help us see our participation in the sanctification. And for the first illustration, I want us to take, I want to take us to the movie Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know how many of us have seen the movie, uh, but it's a, it's a World, War, World War movie. And there's this man named Desmond Doss. Now, Desmond Doss wants to be in the army. He knows, he just believes he's called to be in the army. But his faith uh, just does not allow him to take a life. So he wants to serve in the army. He wants to serve at the front line, but he will not shoot and kill the enemy. And so all his, his, uh, his uh, army, uh, they mock him, they make fun of him. The army tries to, you know, have him fired, but he fights the case legally and he makes it to the army and he finds himself in the front lines in World War II uh, in Japan. And uh, there is this huge cliff, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, there's this huge 400 meter cliff that uh, the American soldiers climb to take territory held by the Japanese on the other side of the cliff. And uh, they are slaughtered. A lot of people die. If you see it, uh, see the movie, it's a, based on a true story. People are just slaughtered. And there is Desmond Doss as a medical officer without a gun in his hand saying, I'm not going to fight. Uh, I'm not going to fight the way this army, you know, through, through battles and kill my enemies, but I'm going to serve the soldiers on the front line. So he's a medical officer. He is there on the cliff and the American soldiers have been slaughtered. And that night, Desmond Doss carries, you can see the movie, it's really vivid. He carried lifted up physically and carried 75 men, injured men, who were fatally wounded, who couldn't move, who couldn't get back to safety. He carried in one night 75 soldiers and brought them back to safety. And so if you watch the movie and you, you, you see there are, there are some soldiers who can't even lift a hand to hold on to Desmond Dawes' shoulders, shoulders. They, they don't have the blood has gone out of them. They don't have the strength even to put his arm around Desmond Dawes' shoulder. So he has to take their hands and he has to put it around his shoulder and he has to lift, lift them up and he has to bring them to safety. That's a beautiful picture of what union with Christ looks like. In the battle against sin, especially in the modern day workplace, in our struggles against anxiety and fear and insecurities and pride and selfish ambition. We are wounded in the battle against sin. 
And I know it from my life, and I know you do too. There are moments in our life, we, we've sinned so much, we've messed so much, we don't even have the strength to put our arm around Christ. But He comes, He takes our arm, puts it around His shoulder, and He takes us to safety. And He doesn't fight the battle by killing enemy soldiers. Jesus came, He fought the battle by dying for us, taking the punishment for our sins upon himself. So when sin has wounded us, Jesus, our union with Christ becomes our sanctification. What does this mean practically? In the worst moment of your sinfulness, you do not have to run away from God. You can come crying, running to Jesus, saying, I'm messed up, Lord. I, I don't deserve it yet I trust in you. That's all we need to do. We don't have to run away from God because of our sin. We need to come running to Jesus because of our sin. That's what union with Christ means. That's the first picture of union with Christ, the first illustration I have, which is what is God's role in sanctification? The second illustration I have, and I want to, I'll close with this and we'll close the sermon series with this, is what does it mean for us to participate? What is our role in sanctification. And for this, I want to use the illustration of an aeroplane. Now think of an aeroplane uh, taking off. Uh, in that illustration, if we are the aeroplane, justification is the fuel, is the jet fuel. The aeroplane can move only on that fuel. So justification is the fuel, right? And glorification is that moment when the flight takes off. It's that moment when we will go up to meet Jesus in the skies when he comes back and our bodies will be transformed in the twinkling, in a moment of the twinkling of an eye. And, and we'll have eternal bodies and live in a perfect world. And we will just soar free of all burdens, free of all sins. Nothing can hold us back. We will go to the heavens. That, the takeoff of the flight, that's the moment of glorification. So the fuel is, sanct is justification. The, the takeoff is glorification. Sanctification is the runway. You see, the flight having received the fuel has to go on the runway before it can take off into glorification. Sanctification is, is the runway. Now, in a runway, there are markers on either side. And uh, the pilot knows that to take off, He's got to stay in between the two markers, right? And, and so all the instructions that we see in the Bible are those markers for us. The fuel is justification. We're just, those are just markers. You know, if a pilot says, hey, I, I wanna, I'm a free man. I, I want to do what I feel is right. I don't want to you know, take the plane, the marker. I want to drive as I please. And if he does that, he's just going to spend the rest of his life driving around in circles on, on, on ground. He's not going to find the momentum to take off. The only way to find the momentum to take off is to stay within the markers. These markers are not meant to imprison us. These markers are meant to set us free. These markers keep us focused on the path 
to our glorification. These markers, if we need these markers to find, to get the momentum through the fuel, to just get the momentum for the takeoff, for our glorification. And so sanctification is the runway. What's our role? We just stay. We, the fuel comes. He's the one who's going to take us off. We just stay with the markers. That's what sanctification really, really uh, means. Now, I can preach this sermon two ways. I can kind of take it in a very legalistic and, and scare you. And basically say, hey, guys, if you, if you don't follow the markers, you're just going to be around in the circle, round and round, round and round. And when Christ comes again, you're not going to be able to take off. Um, you know, and that would be even true biblically, because if you remember the parable of the ten virgins, uh, five of them were left behind because uh, they had forgotten about Jesus. But I want us to find, I want to take us back to the union with Christ. He is not going to leave us. He's going to bring circumstances in our life that are going to bring us. Sure, we rebel and we go away, but he's going to work through the circumstances of our life. And he's constantly bringing us back again and again to get back within the markers in the runway of our sanctification. And I want to close this series. Uh, we've spent 11 weeks on uh, the book of First Thessalonians talking about waiting well. And I want to leave what I hope is an enduring image in your heart and in our mind. In, my, in your heart and mind. Will you give all your energies to staying on the runway of our sanctification in expectation that when Christ comes, we are going to take off gloriously and be united with him in midair and come back with him to reign over the earth with him with the resurrected bodies in a world where there's going to be no more sin, no more sickness, no more shame. Would you come at yourself? Would you pray? And I'm going to pray for us. Would you join with me in prayer in, in committing to staying on the runway of our sanctification? For those of us who are not followers of Jesus, as I said, uh, me talking or anybody talking to you is not with what brings faith in Jesus. Ultimately, God has to bring faith in Jesus in your heart. So if you find in your heart this faith building up, if you feel, uh, if you sense God whispering to you, if you find in your heart a faith, a love for Jesus being birthed, just follow your heart. Allow God's Holy Spirit to lead you to faith in Jesus. All you need to do is, I believe in you, Jesus. All you need to say is, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for my sins and rose again from the dead. And I receive you. That's it. That's all that we need to do. Now, allow me to pray, and then we'll move into communion. Uh, Father, as we close the series on uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians, we are so grateful for your word, for your community, Lord in which we can enjoy your word. And uh, we pray for grace, uh, even as staff led us in prayer, not to look at the temporary things, not to keep circling round and round and round in all the temporary things. Uh, but as Paul said, uh, I want to run the race that God has uh, laid out for me. So help us, Lord, to 
see the markers you've placed for us to stay on the runway of our sanctification that we might take off. Glorious takeoff, free of everything. Gravity, sin has no hold on us. We will soar in the skies with you, Lord Jesus. Freed and made whole, full of joy, full of rejoicing. Lord, even give us a slice of that even now in our hearts. Help us experience now what that glorious takeoff is going to look like. What eternity with Christ is going to look like. So we will, through that, find uh, the power, the strength, the resolve in you to stay on the runway of our justification. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.